Please be seated. Morning, everybody. I had this whole introduction plan, but I think I know everybody in here. <laughs> so we're just going to skip that. The text for today is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. I think they have the page reference for the Pew Bible there in your bulletin, but I believe it's page 226. So let's read together God's word. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? They would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. God bless the reading of his word. Um, wow, they got it turned up way high. Okay, let's also pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this absolutely gorgeous day. And we pray that uh, even though we jumped ahead last night in hours, and most of us are not operating on the amount of sleep that we ordinarily get. We pray that you would give our hearts and open it like the flowers that we see all around us, uh, the daffodils and the hyacinths. We pray that our hearts would open like flowers and be receptive to what it is that you have to teach us today. I pray that you would forgive the fragility and the arrogance and the presumption of this particular vessel and that your word would just go forth unvarnished, full of power in the spirit. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. I want to start off by telling you a story, a dark Tim Burton kind of story. Yeah, it's that kind of story. Once upon a time, there was a land where there was only one church, and the people had to go there by law. Now, imagine it was a church with an aging senior pastor. But don't worry, he had two sons who helped him out. Now, imagine those two sons routinely stole money right out of the offering plate, right in front of the congregation. Now, imagine when the congregants protested, as they should have done, and they did, The sons not only told them to shut up, but demanded that they reach into their pockets and give them any loose change or cell phones or wallets or suffer physical consequences. Now imagine that the congregation grumbled, but because they have to go to that church, or they had to go to that church, they they went reluctantly and began to lose any thoughts of true worship. Thoughts of the Lord going right out the window. Because you see, after the first few robberies, some folks went and spoke to the senior pastor who listened to them, furrowing his eyebrows, nodding his head, and twirling his pinky ring. I'll look into it, he said. But of course, nothing changed. Now imagine there were people, women specifically, who came to the church in a fragile state, broken and weeping, crying out for justice and compassion. Now imagine those two sons of the senior pastor under the pretext of counseling them heinously abused that trust and coerced the women into having sex with them. Now that doesn't turn your stomach. I don't know what will. See, it would be very easy to read this passage of scripture and pay close attention to the cuddly story of little Samuel growing in favor with God and man and easily gloss over the icky bits of Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. But we love God and the whole Bible, even the icky parts. And the whole Bible is there for our edification. We are supposed to look at all of it. So let's look. First off, we have to look at the scum that were the sons of Eli. Eli was a Levite and the high priest of the temple at Shiloh. To be a Levite was to be of the tribe of Levi, the tribe set aside by God during the Exodus to see to it that he was worshipped properly. The Levites were the tribe from which priests were selected. Eli, and consequently his sons, were therefore descendants of Aaron, brother of Moses. Aaron was the one the Bible tells us who actually spoke the words of the prophecy of the plagues to Pharaoh. Aaron, you may recall, was also the one who constructed the idol of the golden calf, while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. Despite all that, it is fair to say that Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas came from an illustrious line. But Israel as a nation had fallen on hard times. Israel had decided that they didn't really need God anymore. And in the words of the book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this damning phrase would also seem aptly applied to Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. In fact, the King James Version translates 1 Samuel 2.12 as, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, or the devil. They knew not the Lord. That means that the sons of Eli weren't just ignorant as in they didn't know any better. It means they were really, really bad. And not the cool bad. 
but wicked, immoral, corrupt, venal, perverted, twisted, E-V-I-L, evil. You look at verse 12 again in the Pew Bible in front of you, and what does it say? It says they were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. See, we were created to worship God. We are His. And when we don't do what we are supposed to do, when we don't love, serve, and obey Him, we become profitless. We are unfruitful. And God, as a gardener, is a great pruner. As Jesus says in Matthew 3.10, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the sons of Eli were wicked and worthless men. That's bad. But just to be certain that we understand, the passage then goes on to enumerate the wicked deeds that the sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas committed. Wicked deed number one. They steal from the offerings made to the Lord. The reference here in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 2 to sticking the fork into the meat and coming up with extra, according to Leviticus 7, 22 through 37, is totally outside of what God had commanded the Levites and the people of Israel to do. Let me pause for a moment and read that to you. You can turn along with me if you want. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies itself and the fat of the one that is torn by beasts may be put to other use, but on no account shall you eat of it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which the food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offering. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And just so there is no ambiguity, we'll also look at Leviticus 8.31. And that simply says, And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, 
and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The sons of Eli, and by implication Eli himself, were taking more than their just and legal portion of the offerings. They're sticking a fork in the cauldron. I don't recall reading or having read anything about that. The sons of Eli, and by implication Eli himself, this is wicked deed too, they're taking and eating the fat from the sacrifices. We just read, according to Leviticus, you shall eat neither fat or blood. There is no ambiguity in that statement. The fat is supposed to be burned on the altar. It belonged to the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas, and by association Eli, were taking the fat and eating it. And it should come as no surprise that they aren't even eating what they are supposed to eat the way God said to. Remember Leviticus 8.31? The flesh is supposed to be boiled. Hophni and Phinehas want to roast it. They want to roast what is, according to God's law, supposed to be eaten boiled. Wicked deed number three. That's causing the people of Israel to hold the offerings in contempt. People get to the point where they come to the altar and they go, oh boy, here we go. Got to bite the bullet. Hophni and Phinehas are here. They're going to take what's not theirs. It's no use protesting. Just go with it. Now, we might be tempted to say, so what? What does it matter? I mean, we being Christians, we're free, not like these people were. Roasted, boiled, it all goes down the gullet the same way. It ends up in the same place. But this is why there is no such thing as small sins. Did you ever think, I mean, really think, about what Jesus says in Luke 16, 10, about he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. The corollary is also true. He who is unrighteous in little is also unrighteous in much. So in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, we read, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. When the people of Israel point out the error of their ways to the sons of Eli, and they don't take heed but continue in their sin, the men of Israel themselves begin to hold the offerings in contempt. When sacred things are treated irreligiously, is it any wonder that the people become less religious? I mean, think about it. If a priest holds the offerings in contempt and the high priest does nothing about it, why should the laity care? And Hophni and Phinehas aren't even done with being wicked yet. But then our chapter this passage puts before us a contrast, a very stark contrast. And this is why the little tale of Samuel and his little linen ephod is so powerful. Verse 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli... Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. We move away from the profanity of Hophni and Phinehas, and God shows us a portrait of how things are supposed to be. 
You may recall that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was a woman without children who was praying in the temple at Shiloh. Hannah was there praying for a son, promising God that if he gave her one, she would dedicate that son to God's service. Eli saw her praying silently, only her lips moving, and according to scripture, he thought she was drunk. When he confronted her, Hannah protested and explained that she was praying. And Eli said to her at that time, May the Lord God of Israel grant you your prayer. And Hannah conceived and had Samuel, who, once he was weaned, she brought and left at Shiloh. Now here in chapter 2, we have a picture of Samuel, a little boy with wild hair, ministering before the Lord and wearing a linen ephod. Now to picture an ephod, you just need to picture an outer garment that looks kind of like a chef's apron. You know, it's got the thing that goes over the head and ties in the back. So you see this little guy going about the temple at Shiloh with all of this nastiness and sin going on around him. And this little guy is faithfully ministering to the Lord. We don't know what faithfully ministering to the Lord would look like for a boy Samuel's age. According to the rules laid down in Scripture, he's too young to do much. Levites, according to Scripture, typically started at age 20 or age 30, depending. But Samuel's there, and he's dedicated to the Lord as his mother promised. And Hannah is, every year, faithfully bringing him clothes, and she and her husband, Elkanah, show up every year faithfully to make their sacrifice. Now, you've got to think about this for just a minute, especially those of you who are mothers. Hophni and Phinehas are the wicked sons stealing from God and his people at this very temple year in and year out. And yet Samuel, this mere boy of undetermined age, is ministering faithfully to the Lord at this same temple, Shiloh, where God's sacrifices are daily being profaned. And not only that, but Hannah so trusts God that leaving Samuel there is a joy for her. You see what we have here? We have the unfaithfulness of Hophni and Phinehas highlighted in shame by the faithfulness of Hannah and Elkanah. We Christians often miss the boat. We often talk about how we have to change and confront our culture. We have seminars, we have DVDs, we have gurus, we have PowerPoint presentations dedicated to that subject. But looky here at Samuel. We can faithfully minister to the Lord wherever we are, even in the midst of profanity and abuse. How? Looks to me like all Samuel is doing here is obediently serving Eli and faithfully ministering to the Lord. We obey, and God does the rest. What a stark contrast when you put them up against Hophni and Phinehas. I can't imagine what Eli must have been thinking. He's got the gangster thug sons out front, and in Samuel, he has a picture of what could have been. I imagine it was bittersweet for Eli to bless Elkanah and Hannah. They have five more children after Samuel. And if children are a blessing from the Lord, as Scripture says, then this family is indeed blessed. Faithfulness to God and faithfulness from God. But then the passage takes us back to Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. 1 Samuel 2, verses 22 through 26. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. 
If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And then the contrast again. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So what have we seen so far? The passage begins with Hophni and Phinehas, sons who should be good priests and aren't. In fact, they are declared worthless. They don't know the Lord and rob both God and his people. Eli and his sons are then contrasted with Elkanah and Hannah and their son Samuel and their faithfulness. And then the passage turns back to Eli. Now, Eli does the right thing here. He, Eli rebukes his sons for their misdeeds. Notice, though, that Hophni and Phinehas had to start sleeping with the women who served at the tent, the entrance to the tent of meeting before Eli said something. This is so bad that you have to break it down as follows. This is the indictment against Hophni and Phinehas. Crimes against God and the people of Israel. Wicked deed number one. They steal from the offerings made to the Lord. Wicked deed number two, the sons of Eli and by implication Eli himself were taking and eating the fat from the sacrifices. Wicked deed number three, the sons of Eli caused the men of Israel to treat the offerings with contempt. And wicked deed number four, they are profaning the entrance to the tent of meeting by having sex with the women who serve there. The entrance to the tent of meeting had symbolic and literal connections to the administration of justice. It was the place where, according to Scripture, people sought justice from the Lord. But Hophni and Phinehas see it as a place to meet women and hook up. Eli is old. He served at Shiloh and was supposedly in charge, but undermines his credibility by not casting his sons out of the temple. He seems to have been so weak when it comes to his sons that when he does finally rebuke them, they don't listen to him or accord him any respect. They just keep on doing what they feel like. We want to sympathize with this. Unless something is really wrong with us, we love our kids. We want what is best for them. And we all know of families where the parents were faithful and loving and the kids, they just turned out to be wrong. Children of wrath. But we have to bite down on that because that's not what we are seeing here. Hophni and Phinehas didn't know God and were worthless men because Eli didn't love God. Let me explain. God has to come first. This is an axiom. It is a truth, a fixed point in the universe. This is a central verity. God has to come first. And Eli put his sons before God. Look at verses 22 and 23. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. Eli kept hearing all that his sons were doing. You get the sense that up until this point, he sort of had his hands over his ears. I'm not listening. La, 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 la. I don't hear you. I know they're bad. No, they're not really bad. They're good boys. Right? Anybody awake out there? But notice he never tells them, at least according to Scripture, he never tells them to stop. According to the passages from Leviticus we read earlier, people who profane the sacrifices are to be cast out. Eli is so far gone in his duties that the implication here is that he delegated to his sons 
and they just seemed to have done whatever they felt like. He sort of was the long-distance manager, the absentee landlord. Eli simply says in verse 25, If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for, the, who can intercede for him? And this is, this is me, so you know there had to be a Puritan moment coming up. Here it comes. Nelson's laughing, he knows. The great Puritan Matthew Henry pointed out in his commentary that while Eli, what Eli says here is true and biblical, it is entirely too mild, and I concur. This is the sort of thing that calls for the Jesus cleansing the temple, whip of cord sort of approach. The sons of Eli should have been made to feel fear. They should have had a holy dread. But their father doesn't do that. Eli instead seems to appeal to reason. He's all soft here. He's suggested, but he's not direct. And of course, the time for what he's doing here, being all, you know, I, I really think you should, that time is way, way past. And as it says in verse 25, Eli's sons weren't going to listen because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And of course, in the next few chapters, we have God visiting Samuel and telling Samuel that he will be taking over because Eli and Hophni and Phinehas are going to die. Now, Hophni and Phinehas meet their end at the hands of the Philistines, and Eli, when he hears the report of their death, falls over backward off his stool and breaks his neck. So the question after all of this is, what are we supposed to take away from this? First thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. God needs to come before food, clothing, your children, your career, everything. God first. Hannah and Samuel put God first. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas didn't. The second thing, we have an obligation to serve God where we are called. We don't have to be the high priest or the acolyte. We don't have to be 20 years old or 30 to do it. And we don't get to stop just because we're 65, 75, or 90 years old just because the world tells us we're retired. Samuel was around three when Hannah gave him to the Lord at Shiloh, and Eli was rebuked by the Lord. And get this, he's rebuked by the Lord through a prophet when his sight is failing and he was getting old and fat. He's rebuked for not doing his duty. No excuses. Third thing, take care of what the Lord has entrusted to you. If God comes first and you are a parent, pursue your parental duties with fear and trembling. If you are an officer in the church or a teacher or just a visitor, seek the Lord diligently and find what he is calling you to do. It may only be to diligently pray or stack chairs, occasionally bring a bowl of chili for a church dinner but whatever you do don't treat the offerings of the Lord with contempt and do not cause others to stumble as Hophni and Phinehas did as Paul says this brings to mind this passage in Romans 14 and if you'll indulge me because I also love Romans and people who know me know that um Oh, I lost my place. None of us lives for himself, and none of us dies for himself. 
For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Elkanah and Hannah and Samuel, they knew that. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas didn't. Let's be like Samuel. Let's be like Hannah. Let's not be like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. And let's pray.